Friday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for the final show of the week. Hope, hope everybody's having a good one and is psyched for a good weekend. Lots of stuff coming up on the show and, of course, in, uh, in the world of sports. On this show, Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune will join me here in a little while. Chip's columnist, of course, from the Star Tribune. We will talk gopher football, setting up that Iowa game down in Iowa between the Gophers and Iowa tomorrow. Um, opportunity for the Gophers, although opportunities there have been uh, seldom have have been have been a good thing for for the Gophers. They have not won in Iowa since 1999. PJ Fleck has never beaten the Hawkeyes in six tries. So this is an uphill climb, even if this is not a great Iowa team, because as we've seen so far this year, this is not a great Minnesota team either. But if they are going to change their narrative of the season, they need to win this game. Same goes for the Vikings. Um, pretty similar opportunity on Monday night. I'm sure Royce and I will get into that on Monday before that game is played against the 49ers. But San Francisco, obviously one of the best teams in the league. The Vikings do have that game at home. However, home has not been kind to them this year. They are 0-3 at U.S. Bank Stadium. So opportunities for both teams. Chip and I will get into both of those in a little while here. Got to get to the wild. A 7-3 loss. Seven, seven goals allowed. For the second time in just four games this season, they've been really up and down and, you know, maybe showing what they're going to be this year, especially against some of the better teams or, you know, against some of the lesser teams. And, and we'll see which is the true wild team as the year goes on. Got a final Wolves thought as they had a really good preseason. First, though, what did we miss? Guys, as one of the world's foremost historians of what I like to call the Josh Freeman game, I need to point out that we are at a point in history where we need to bring up that game once again. Saturday marks the 10-year anniversary of the game that Josh Freeman, one game only, played for the Vikings October 21st, 2013 against the New York Giants on Monday night football. We have some great little symmetry here with the Vikings playing on Monday night again on Monday. I wonder if they'll show it on the broadcast for Vikings fans' sake. I hope they do not, but I want to take you on a little journey. If you've forgotten about this, if you blocked it out, if for some reason you didn't pay very much attention in 2013, these were the extraordinary circumstances that led up to that moment and happened throughout the course of a three-hour nightmare that the Vikings lost 23-7 to in New York on that fateful Monday night. Here are some of the basic facts of the occasion. Josh Freeman was released earlier that season in the middle of the season by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He you know, had a very public uh, you know, spat with coaching over there, was benched, and eventually released. Vikings picked him up in you know early October and they were you know there I think they were on a bye week at the time and they're coming back to play a game at the time they brought him in um, Christian Ponder had been the incumbent starter that season for the Vikings remember he took them to the playoffs or more more aptly was guided there by Adrian Peterson's MVP season in 2012 um, but he was the quarterback coming into 2013 and they had every reason to think he was going to be 
at least a, a long-term or at least medium-term solution for them because this was just his third season in the NFL, 2013. Matt Castle was the backup, the capable veteran backup for the Vikings that year. Both of them had already played games that season for the Vikings. Ponder struggling early. Castle giving them, I believe, their first win in the game in London against Pittsburgh, but struggling in another game after that. So they bring in Josh Freeman off the street, essentially, after he'd been released from Tampa Bay. He's introduced to the media. There's a weird kind of situation where he is in this introductory conference call with reporters, and on one version of the recording, you can hear former Vikings general manager Rick Spielman like whispering answers into his ear, like what to say to reporters who are asking him questions ostensibly about what happened in Tampa Bay, things like that. I remember listening to this 10 years ago and, and you know wondering what in the world was going on, but this was part of the buildup to all of this. So he comes in and basically... I think it's October 8th that he's officially signed. He practices with the team for like a week, and then they declare him to be the starter in the game. I don't think it was, it wasn't the very first game. It was, I think it was the Carolina, the, they played Carolina. They lost that game. They struggled. And then after like a week of practice, they name him the starter, Josh Freeman, the starter for the Monday night game. Um, in New York, even though they had other healthy options. I think Ponder had been hurt for a while, but I think he was maybe back at that point. Castle was certainly healthy. They had other options. This was not an emergency situation. This was a, hey, we brought this guy in. We want to see what he can do. I'm even going to pull up some of the quotes from that time, reading here from from a story back uh, back in, in 2013 after they had declared that Josh Freeman is going to be the starter. Um, this is Leslie, former head coach Leslie Frazier, talking about uh, uh, talking about Josh Freeman and and you know the opportunity that he had. He said, "I like the things that he's done in his career, along with what he's done since he arrived here with our football team." Frazier said, "The time that he's put in, how well he's adapted to our system, and I like his work ethic. He's done enough for us to say we want to give him this opportunity, which is something we had in mind when we acquired him. We think now is the time." Um, yeah, I guess now was not the time. That was the lead-up to this Monday night football game against the Giants. The Vikings were 1-4 and four at the time, but trying again to resurrect their season because, you know, again, the year before they had gone 10-6, and six, made the playoffs, they were feeling good about their trajectory, but they were still maybe searching for that long-term answer at quarterback and thought maybe Josh Freeman could be that guy. Spoiler alert, he was not that guy. Um... The game starts. I, I, we, me, and a bunch of friends went to a bar, Legends Bar in Northeast Minneapolis, which I believe has ceased to exist since then and has been defunct for several years. We went to watch that game because I thought it was going to be an interesting kind of flashpoint in the Vikings season. What we were treated to was a weird, awful, memorable display of football. The Vikings. Lost the game, like I said, 23-7. They actually led early on because of a Marcus Sherrill's punt return for a touchdown. They were up 7-3. It was a very close game for a long time. Josh Freeman, however, in that game, dropped back to pass 54 times. He threw 53 passes, completed just 20 of them, and was sacked once. Did not attempt a rush. That was their game plan. 53 passes by Josh Freeman 
14 rushes by a team that had the reigning MVP sitting on their team. 14 carries in that game for the Vikings. I believe most of them went to Adrian Peterson. I'm just looking back at the box score right now, and it was not a pretty thing. Yeah, Adrian Peterson had 13 carries for 28 yards. So it wasn't like he was having a great day on the ground, but a, a weird game plan. 20 of 53, 190 yards, one interception. The Vikings couldn't get much going on offense, did not score a single offensive point. They did have chances to score. Blair Walsh missed a, a long field goal. They had other other drives stopped by, you know, downs or um, or turnovers, but that was kind of the that was the the end of the end of the line for them was 23 to 7 in that weird game. It was so weird. That the same group, I gathered up some of that scheme group a year later and did this like long oral history of what it was like to watch that game. That's how weird that game was. It was the only game Josh Freeman played for the Vikings. They went back to kind of the Castle Ponder rotation the very next week, finished out the season. Leslie Frazier was fired at the end of the year. Mike Zimmer brought in. Teddy Bridgewater drafted, and they think, okay, here we go again with kind of the path that we are on to try to get our franchise quarterback, and maybe that would have been the case had not it been for that injury to Bridgewater before the 2016 season. But I digress. That was the only game Freeman played for the Vikings. He played one other game in his entire NFL career. That was in relief for the Colts at the end of the 2015 season. So that was just a weird, weird moment in Vikings history. Kind of maybe brings you back to what it was like when they were scrambling to try to find their quarterback, what it was like that year to watch them on Monday Night Football. I won't belabor it anymore. I'm going to write about it more on Friday, but that was one of the weirdest games I ever saw, one of the most memorable things I ever wrote because when we gathered those people the next, a lot of the people we watched the game with for the next uh, the next year at the same time, a lot of those just kind of bizarre memories came flooding back. So I don't know. I don't know what else I don't know what else to say about this, but just keep this in your hearts, keep this in your minds. The Josh Freeman game 10 years ago Saturday, and again we have this Monday night occasion to mark it when they play the 49ers. We can only hope the game is as interesting but maybe not as weird as that one was 10 years ago. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Joined today by Chip Scoggins, columnist from the Star Tribune. I want to talk a little Gophers and a little Vikings with you, Chip, because I feel like the, maybe the last time we talked, it was before the Gophers were going to play Michigan and before the Vikings were going to play Kansas City. And we kind of framed that as a little bit of an opportunity, but also two teams that were going against some some really tough opponents. But I feel like in this case, let's start with the Gophers. I feel like in this case, with the <coughs> Gophers going to Iowa, the Vikings playing San Francisco on Monday night, both of these feel like winnable but difficult games that could really define these seasons, especially the Gophers, man, if they lose this one, you start to wonder, are they even going to be bowl eligible this season? Yeah, for sure. This is one for many reasons that they need in the worst way. Um, You get run out of your own stadium against Michigan uh, by, you know, 
Michigan could have picked a score. And I, I think Michigan's the best team in college football. Yeah. Um, but that was just so non-competitive. Um, but this is a – they have not won in Iowa City since, what, 1999? Yes. Um, uh, eight years in a row, P.J. Fleck has not um, won against Kirk Ferentz. Obviously, he's 0-6. And if you want to make anything of this season, you need to win this game, right? Because – you're right. Then you start all of a sudden start looking at the the math and like, are they even going to get bowl eligible at this point? And yeah, I was in this. I was uh, because of the the Viking or the Gophers bye week and the Vikings being out of town. I went over and visited my son at Wisconsin, so I was at the game. So sorry, uh, so sorry to hear that. Maybe the worst game I've seen in person. The most <laughs> boring, probably um, the Iowa at Wisconsin this past Saturday. And this is not by any stretch of the imagination, a great Iowa team. Um, I think their defense is good. Special teams are terrific. The punter's outstanding. But statistically, Mike, if you look at total offense, the worst offense in college football, 133 133 out of 133 teams in yardage. Um, They won at Wisconsin passing the ball for 37 yards. Um, their punter punted 10 times. They were 417 <laughs> on third down, and they won a Big Ten game that week. They they have their formula, defense and special teams, and hope you make a mistake. Um I I I've said this phrase again and I'll say it again. If not now, then when. And if you're the gophers, how do you attack that? Because I think you know, Randy Johnson made a good point earlier this week where he's saying you know, because Iowa plays that formula and because they're waiting for you to make a mistake, there's a temptation to be conservative and be afraid yes. of making that mistake. And I think that's kind of a an MO of when things go bad for PJ Flex. Sometimes they're too conservative. How how would you go about beating this Iowa team then? Yeah, and we've seen PJ do that before, that he's played it ultra conservative. I mean, how many times has he gone down there and kicked field goals inside the 10? I mean, it was a couple of years ago he did that um, on a fourth down. It's just that's playing into what Iowa wants. They want you to play it safe and and keep it low scoring. And um, so they're going to need the quarterback to play better than he, you know, I said against Michigan, you got to come out and just throw the kitchen sink and throw, you know, let Ethan, um, you know, try to make some plays with his arm because I didn't think you could just run the ball at him. That obviously was disastrous with two pick sixes, but they have to figure out a way to get him going. Um, because yeah. we've seen it, Mike. We saw it last year, um, at Nebraska in the second half. We saw it most definitely against Wisconsin, the way he played there. So it's it's in there. They have to figure out a way to get him on track, whether that's you know, some quick hitting, high percentage passes early on to get his confidence back after the Michigan debacle. Um, get him into a rhythm. Uh, because he's gonna have to be able to make plays. I, it, We'll see if Darius Taylor is back, their freshman running back, who's terrific. I think he probably will be. Um, but we, we've seen if you pair him and Evans, I like their running backs, but yeah. you're going to have to make some plays throwing the ball and not just try to run, run, run against this team and, and hope that that's going to be successful. So PJ's going to have to be aggressive. And at this point, listen, everything else has failed, you know, right. in, try, in trying to win down there. Uh, might as well, um, you know, take a different approach and different tack, but it, it also requires the quarterback to be able to make some plays for you. Well, and what's been the disconnect with, with Calic Manis? Cause you know, know. Is, is it, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't expect you to know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, like, you know, 
he showed a lot of promise last year, but it's a small sample size. Is it that the offense is different? Is it that there's more pressure? Although it seems like he he is the kind of quarterback that relishes the pressure. Is it teams are teams have more film on him and kind of understand what his weaknesses? Like I'm trying to understand. Like this was supposed to be, you know, kind of this step forward and kind of program building and having this guy, you know, that that could hold down the job for a few more years. And it does feel like the second half of the season is a little bit of a referendum on him as much as it is about the whole team. Oh, I, I don't think without a doubt, Mike, I mean, you, they need to get to the end of the season and, and have a better idea is okay. Is he our guy for the next two, three years or do they need to go to the portal or the, or, you know, because his accuracy, I mean, okay, start with the confidence and unshaken. And that's what we heard from PJ. Like he doesn't get rattled. You know, he's kind of cool, calm and all this I think he has looked rattled against North Carolina against yeah for sure against North Carolina dead, certainly against Michigan um, after the you know throwing the pick six on the first play he just never looked comfortable back there and I don't know if that's you know let's say this is his first year even though he you know was a feeling that started last yeah. year he is this is his first year of being the guy is it just some of the growing pains that you expect is it having a new offensive coordinator um, his receivers. Haven't helped him a great deal in terms of drops. Um, uh, his, you know, his. It just feels like everything is very fast for him now, and I think that's affecting his accuracy um, because he's just been off the mark. He's missed on some deep throws, um, so that's why I wonder if you can get him settled in and get him some confidence. If we'll see the, you know, the quarterback that we saw against Wisconsin last year, where he just it looked like he had total control of that game and of himself, and so. I think it's in there, but this is he has to show it, and um, it's on the coordinator too to find the right mix of plays to get him going. Because I don't think could be wrong in this, but I don't think just relying on the run like they did last year um, is going to be the formula that's going to win in, in Iowa City. Well, it didn't win last year. I mean, it could have, but it didn't win yeah. last year because on the millionth run they fumbled <laughs> right in a row, in yeah. a row. Yeah, I mean it was. Setting up to be a just a an epic, unbelievable performance by a running back, and then you know, did did fatigue or anything have to do with that fall? I don't know. We'd never be able to prove it, but um, it when you do that, you cause yourself to be so perfect, needing yep. to be perfect because it's just hard to sustain 10, 12 play drives all the time. Is. You need some explosive plays to 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 you know help you in that regard, and they just haven't really hit those this year. I mean, they missed on some deep balls, so. Um, special teams will be big, and it, it, I know that's boring, but Iowa beat you with special teams. They just do, and that has been a common weakness in the PJ Fleck era. They've had now their kicker is good. Yes, he's terrific, but um, otherwise they've had major issues. They cannot have that be a major deficit Saturday, or Iowa's just too good in special teams. I mean, they can win games, and that's how they win, Mike. They win with defense and special teams. Um, and so I'm curious to see the Joe Rossi defense, which has given up far more explosive plays than we're accustomed to seeing from them. This is not an explosive Iowa offense. So if it's, no. if it's a problem Saturday, then you have major problems because you should not be giving up explosive plays against that offense. Um, or, you know, as many as it, that we've seen, I, I like Iowa's running backs. They look, you know, they're, they're good. Um, the one had an 82-yard running uh, touchdown run Saturday at Wisconsin. That was a nice run. Williams, I think it was. Um, but 
Mike, this is, again, if not now, the win. This is a game that they should be able to go in their win. Because it's not like they have been overmatched physically, skill-wise, talent in recent years. Um, they just haven't uh, made the play when they needed to make it. And um, whether it's the decision by the coaching or, or – I go back to Tyler Johnson dropped a pass in 2019 going in. I thought that that would have changed that game. It's just been a couple things that have really prevented them from from winning in these games. And so um, we're still waiting for them to put a full, complete game together. Offense, defense, they have not done that this year. Let's see if they get healthy during the bye, if they got healthier, and if, if this is the, the week that they can actually put a complete game together. Well, and Iowa's been the roadblock to playing in the Big Ten title at least a couple times. Twice, um, yeah. 2019 and 2021, right? Like both of those yep. games were, you know, you win that game and you are playing in the Big Ten title game. And I don't know how competitive they would have been in those, but those are program markers. And again, this year, it's a little different, but it is a chance to change the narrative. I mean, Chip, earlier this week, ESPN called the Gophers one of the five biggest disappointments in college football this year. I don't know what you think about that, but it's midseason, yeah. and they're they're getting put in the same category as like Alabama, Baylor, like teams that, at least from a national perspective, or at least one national writer's perspective, they looked at and said, this team should at least compete in the Big Ten West, and they're just not right now. Yeah, I mean, um, the Northwestern debacle in the fourth quarter may haunt them for eternity. Yeah. Because of if you haven't done that, now you're looking at okay, maybe this is uh, this game is going to be whoever comes out. Of this might be your Big Ten West champ. Yeah. Um, when you look at Iowa's schedule the rest of the way, I mean, it's as soft as it could be. I, I, you know, they'll be favored the rest of the way, even with that offense. Um, it's just it it boggles my mind that a team can have the worst offense in college football and win a division in a Power Five conference. I mean, yeah. Um, but, uh, with them winning at, at Wisconsin, they're definitely in the driver's seat now. Um, and so, yeah, this, but this is a, you know, they, they've, they've beat Wisconsin twice here, um, in what, three years. Um, they've, they've quit, you know, knocked down that hurdle that was, you know, always there. I was one that they haven't got past yet. No. Fleck has not won against Iowa yet. So this is, you know, this is another thing that they have to do. And again, if you if you don't win this game, you know, now you're starting to look around. It's like, okay, what's this season going to be? Um, if you win it, then you can you look at the gopher schedule and it's it sets up to where, you know, they should be favored in some of these games. And so um it, it's it's definitely a pivot point game, I think, for their season and and just kind of what this team is going to be. Feels like we could say the same about the Vikings, this Monday night game against San Francisco. They've not played a complete game, just like the Gophers. Um, they Their two wins might have looked worse than their four losses. <laughs> they haven't won at home yet this year. They've lost four yeah. straight home games going back to the playoff game against the Giants. Um, but, you know, San Francisco might be a little bit banged up. You see Christian McCaffrey, they're kind of holding out hope, but I'd be su- I'd be surprised at this point if he plays. You don't want to mess with the rib yeah. oblique kind of thing because those could turn into longer-term things. So if he's out, their offense changes entirely. Still, a, you know, the NFL, the margins are a lot tighter than they are in college football, but if, if they can win this game, you suddenly start to think, okay, um, maybe not the division so much being majorly in play, although they still have their games against the Lions left. I think the Lions are a much better team than they are, but you can start to yeah, think, okay, yeah. 
they can rescue themselves from this one and four start and at least stop this notion of tanking and you know they're going to lose all these games cuz you know it's it's possible to get somewhere if you you know if you get to 3 and 4 cuz you look at that you look at their schedule it is very forgiving these seven games after this one yeah i mean this is um we said this stretch right with Kansas City uh Chicago San Francisco and then Packers. Um, yeah. I want to see their offense do something. I do too. Their offense has not it's, been good. No, I mean, they, they can't run the ball. Um, Hawkinson has not had the impact that I thought he would after signing no. the big contract and what we saw last year. Cousins hasn't looked as as sharp as he was last year, although he, he threw for a lot of yards early on um, right. first few games. But I, I thought this would have had a – at a minimum, I thought they would be a top ten scoring offense with an outside chance of being a top five scoring offense. Yeah, and some of that, the turnovers have, have you know prevented points, but you know, I, I just it, they're just not crisp or sloppy. And that was the thing. Uh, like last year, I feel like they had a lot of good, like scripted first drives. They were scoring touchdowns right away. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first quarter this year. They've got like yeah. six six points in the first quarter all year. Something like been that. slow starters. Yeah. And that's the one thing that you always thought that they were going to, you know, their script was going to, and then right. last year they would kind of have little lulls after the scripted plays. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, they just, yeah, complete. They have not played a complete game. Um, the turnovers have been just, just the, the sloppiness with the ball has been, uh, maddening. Um, but, is is interesting to see what you know what it was going to look like without JJ. Yeah. Um, you see the effect, and just not only like the plays he makes, but the attention he draws, right, and allows other guys to not have to face as you know you might get you know man coverage or or a lesser defender on you. Well, now that all shifts to you know now without JJ there, so um, it's it's. And and the running game is, you know, what do they would they have four forty something yards like rushing? Forty six, like forty six. Fifty two. If you don't take it, yeah. If you yeah. if you take away the kneel down, they're never going to be like known as a you know high powered running offense with O'Connell there. But you have to have something. You know, you got to be able well, to keep them at least somewhat honest. Andrew Kramer had a great stat the other day that he shared with me on the show. It was like I think in four of their six games this season. They haven't had an offensive rush that went for more than 10 yards. And that was the same against the Bears. The eight eight yards was their longest run against the Bears. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and they're one of two teams, I think the Steelers or other uses that, that that don't have a rushing touchdown right. this year. Yeah. Um defensively, um, you know, I, I still think they're, you know, personnel, they're not where they want to be, but uh Daniel Hunter looks fabulous. I mean, he's come yeah. back. I I thought, I mean, I know Jordan Hicks had the turnovers. I thought Daniel was their best defensive player. Oh, Sunday. Sure. He was just he was um, so disruptive. It looked like the Daniel of old. Although, you have to count although for him. now you got to do without With Davenport. Davenport, he's on, yeah. he's on it. He is on IR now. So, so you wonder, you know, again, that more attention is going to shift to Daniel side, right? Um, and that's a blow because I, when Davenport was in there, he he was yeah. effective. I mean, you can see his. Yeah. So, but um, you know, defensively they're making plays. Um, that you know, I think they're still. Again, personnel wise, not where they want to be altogether. That's going to take a couple years to get to where they want, probably. Yeah. But 
Um, I want to see their offense play well, just have an yeah. explosion and take care of the ball. You know, don't, you know, quit turning the ball over, but just have a, a, a game where it really all comes together and clicks. We just, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's just missing something. They don't look cohesive or confident. I don't think you can point to even one. It's not just one thing. Cause I think the offensive line has been at least good enough. They've given cousins a decent amount of time to throw in a lot of cases this year. The running game, I think that's been a big miss. I think they thought they were going to be more efficient, and really, they're just, they're just less explosive. Yeah. They're less, they're less yeah. explosive. They're not more efficient, yeah. Necessarily, I mean, they, they so. might not have as many. Yeah, they might not have as many. I mean, the negative runs and the zero gain yards drove them crazy last year, and they thought, okay, Dalvin hit the home runs, but we'll eliminate some right. of those, and you're just not you're not getting home runs. <laughs> um, and and you know. Um, I want to see more from Hawkinson. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of us do. I mean, it's it's they got him going there in the two minute the other day, but in terms of just making what you'd call contested or difficult catches, yeah. there's been way too many that bounced off his hands. I agree. Um, and so now you don't have JJ for at least three games, and we'll three see. More, yeah. You know, at, at least three more. You don't know how how that's going to go. So it's you know you take away your best player, um, but. Uh, you know, with 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 the Niners injury situation, yeah. You know that obviously makes you feel a little more optimistic about. It. If they were healthy, I would say you know, no chance. Yeah, yeah, you know, mow the lawn or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be, cook for uh, spend I, your I just Sunday think, otherwise. Yeah, when they're when they're healthy, I think they're the best team. When they're healthy, I think the Niners are the best team. I just think they're the most complete team. I think it's a bad matchup for yeah the Vikings, but you know, is is Samuel is he out? Yeah, you know, they're saying we don't know yet. Um, it okay. seems like he and Williams escaped major injury at least, but it sounds like William, Trent Williams should play because he came back into that game. I don't know about McCaffrey they, and, and Samuel, though. They, you know, they might they, be looking big picture too. Like, yeah, okay, we can sacrifice, you know, because for the bigger, <laughs> the right. bigger goal. Um, so you may avoid having to play those, and that obviously changes a lot with when you take two dynamic players like that off the go. Yeah, but yeah, you know, their thing is like I said, it's about the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs were vulnerable. That wasn't like a no, you know, they it wasn't like an outstanding Chiefs performance. No. Um, and for the Vikings to lose all three of their games at home this year, it's crazy. Um, which that's it's typically been a you know, a, a playing in that stadium has been an edge for them with the noise yeah. and everything. And it, for them to be 0 and 3 this year, and that is um, that's surprising. Me. especially to lose those games to Tampa Bay and San Diego, yeah. like teams that are, or the Los Angeles Chargers, like teams that are yeah. like comparable to them, I think on a neutral field, you would think the home field carries something. And both those games were right there and they just couldn't win. So yeah. Chip, final thought before I let you go, which team is more likely to win this weekend, Gophers or Vikings? Um, I would say Gophers. Um, I just think even though they haven't done it in forever, and even though they haven't looked good this year, I just, I, you know, it, with where Iowa's offense is, um, it would be interesting if the Gophers can get up to make Iowa chase them for, for a change, yeah. make yeah. them have to play catch up because that's just not how they're built. They're built to keep it close, kind of squeeze the game, win it with defense and, and special teams. The Gophers can, you know, get a get on top and make, I would chase them. I think that would be, um, you know, obviously to their advantage. So I, I would probably say them uh, um, 
not knowing what McCaffrey and Samuels yeah. situation is, because that would probably change how I view the Vikings game, but I, I'll, I'll go with Gophers. Okay. Interesting. We'll see what happens, Chip. Appreciate it as always. We'll catch up again soon. All right, brother. Thanks, man. I always appreciate the insights from Chip Scoggins. Does a great job writing for the Star Tribune, of course, and is always really good on this podcast. So hope you appreciated that as well. I don't know what to make of either of these games. I know the the Minnesota teams are underdogs in both of them, but both of them feel at least winnable and possible. And both of them, like Chip and I talked about, definitely feel like they fall into the realm of if you are going to change the narrative of your season, these are games that can do it. So we will see if one or both of these underdog Minnesota football teams can get it done in the next few days. Let us finish with the cooler. A couple of things as we kind of shift our attention away from kind of the fall and you know the summer and the fall teams towards the winter sports. Wild loses 7-3 on home ice to the Kings on uh on Thursday night, Marc-Andre Fleury got his second straight start, did not go nearly as well as his game in Montreal, gives up a bunch of goals that he's pulled um, You know, later on. And the Kings tacked on a couple empty net goals late. So it was, you know, 5-3 was maybe the real score. 7-3 is your final. But still, giving up that many goals, giving up a flurry of goals, four goals in the first period, including three of them late, does not bode well. Again, the defensive pairing struggled. Um, the Wild struggled really to stem the tide. I think that was kind of the, the, the message from Dean Evison after the game. So here's, here's a clip from head coach Dean Evison after that 7-3 loss to the Kings. We got frustrated um, with some stuff, and, and we couldn't pull ourselves out of it. We, you know, but, yeah, the first period wasn't bad, except for the last you know, few minutes, obviously, when they, they scored a couple goals. And we've got to be better at uh, being resilient and um, not letting that uh, get to us, obviously. And, um, you know, but again, we, I don't know how many shots they had early, and we, you know, we were playing the right way. We were doing the right things. And that, tough's a, that team is a tough team when they get the lead, and they got the lead for circumstances. And, and it was tough for us to obviously get back. This is twice now already this season that they followed up a good game, a good solid defensive game with good goaltending with a game where they gave up a bunch of goals and lost. So it's two and they're two and two overall. I don't know if we're gonna get a better picture of what they are yet or if this is kind of what they are, if they're going to be competitive against teams like them and struggle, especially defensively against the teams that are elevated, or if this is just a four-game sample size. But I don't love what we've seen so far this season. I think there's still enough holes, some question marks. At least they did have a full complement of forwards in this game um, with the salary cap pressure at least alleviated a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know what to make of their identity. I don't think they're. I don't think they've sorted it out entirely. Or if they do have an identity, I don't know if they have the players, especially on defense, to pull it off. Timberwolves, on the other hand, had a perfect preseason. Again, it's just preseason. We don't want to make too much of a preseason. But they beat the Bulls last night. Their preseason was awfully good. They, you know, they they looked really good. They look like they're deep. They look like they've got some momentum now going into the regular season about a week from now. I don't know. I don't think I don't think we're going to see everything we need to know about this team obviously in in preseason and fake games, but you know, in a lot of these games they were their starters were playing against other team starters. There you you see the cohesiveness. You've seen kind of the work they've put in in camp. You've seen year 2 versus year 1. 
I think there's some optimism that should build a little bit from this preseason. And now, though, they have to carry it over to the regular season and show us that they indeed are a changed team. And I will believe that when I see it starting next week. Speaking of next week, that'll do it for this week. Should have some great shows next week as well. Thanks for listening all week. Back at it again with Roycey on Monday.